Hey, Les. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about a new digital compilation combo that's coming out at the end of January. Yes. It's a love combo, you might say. Wow. One is called Love Found. Yes. Frontline celebrates Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Yeah. That's a wonderful time of year. It is. For couples that are in love. It's true. But what does that do for the single people out there, right? Yeah, what does it do for them? Well, they're feeling pretty down. Yeah, I'm feeling lonely. Very. And so our other side, our other compilation is called Love Actually. Frontline celebrates Single Awareness Day. Well, that's very considerate. Yes. We did both of these compilations because whether you're bundled up next to your significant other on Valentine's Day or you're hugging an empty box of chocolates on Single Awareness Day, there's songs for you. Yeah, we want to include everybody. That's right. And so the artists that have songs in the Love Found, celebrating Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day, are John Gibson, Tim Minor, and Angie and Debbie Winans. Wow. They're beautiful songs, beautiful love songs, really about God's love, Mm -hmm. even though we think of this as romantic love. But hey, whose love is best? God's love. God's love. And in fact, the album kicks off with Jesus Loves Ya from John Gibson and closes out with You Are the One, John Gibson. And then we've got some great songs in between. Now, the Love Actually album has songs from actually John and Tim Minor and Angie and Debbie Winans, as well as Benny Hester, David Zafiro, Liaison, and Ricky Lias. Oh. Some real heavy hitters, some real songs that could really make you cry. Oh, and it's good to cry once in a while. It is. It's Jesus all right. wept. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Single Awareness Day, some songs maybe about loneliness and loss, but hey, some people are feeling that way right around that time. Yeah. So everybody check out the new Love Combos, Mm -hmm. Love Found, celebrating Valentine's Day, and Love Actually, celebrating Single Awareness Day. Awesome. Here's a John Gibson song called Jesus Loves Ya.
Okay, well, hi, everybody. John, it's, it's good to be here with you today. Uh, I'm Les pleasure. Carlson. This is uh, Frontline Records Rewind, and uh, this is John Gibson. And uh, I think we're going to have an amazing time today, just talking about your life and the things that uh, you have done so far. So, John, tell me about Jesus Loves You, the well, song that you, Did you write that song, John? Yeah, yeah, I had actually written it a year before the project, and so it was just one of the songs that was in, you know, my repertoire, but um, we needed another song for the project. We were at the end of it, you know, uh -huh. and so uh, I said, well, you know, I've got this, this song called Jesus Loves You. Let's see what's up with it. And it was, you, you know, you, you've done enough records to know the end of the project routine where you're in there laying a vocal while they're mastering yeah, <laughs> the yeah, record right. down you the street. <laughs> and, you know, that song that you're singing on needs to be turned in the next morning. That's how it was with Jesus Loves You. Yeah. I was up all night laying those vocals. So, um, And as a matter of fact, we didn't have time to schedule anybody. So, and I had a distinct rhythm guitar in there, you know, kind of a thing like, you know, yeah. and, and so the engineer is listening to it and he's going, why don't you just hum it like that? And I was like, all right, whatever. So I hummed it and then I hummed another part to make it sound like a little rhythm guitar thing. And that's how we did it. Wow. And makes a song. <laughs> so, you know, the guitar is a human voice guitar, but. That's how we got that sound, oh, cool. you know? Cool. So. Now, yeah. I love when you, do you call it scatting? Uh, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Scatting. I mean, I, I was privileged to listen to scatting when I was young because my mother was a huge uh, Billie Holiday and, and Ella Fitzgerald Ella fan. Fitzgerald, my mom yeah. and my mother could sing like you wouldn't believe. Oh, man. So she, she was an incredible singer. Talk about somebody becoming a superstar. My mother would have been a superstar for sure. But. She, um, so I, I grew up with that influence, knowing how to scat. I would listen to her, and 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 I became really good at ad libbing, and uh, so that was the first time I think I ever really decided, okay, well, this needs to be heard. You know, yeah. Christians need to hear that this is a cool thing. And so, and and then again, we we had the budget limitations of not having a sac uh, saxophone player come in and play the part. Sure, so sure. I just scatted it. You know, uh -huh. a horn line. You know? Yeah. So and and it was. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we've known each other for many years, but we've never hung out like this before. This is a first. We were signed to Frontline Records. Uh, you were like 1988 with Frontline? Right. That's uh, when I started. Yeah, and Blood Good had already started touring in 85, I think, or maybe 86. Right. Yeah, it's a blood. I first heard Amy Grant in 85, I think it was. Uh-huh. That's when I first, but I didn't know she was a Christian artist. I just heard her and somebody okay. started talking about her, but I, I wasn't even aware then that there was a whole Christian genre. So you, you came know? from another world. Yeah, I, I mean, I came out of an agnostic family. You know, my father found Christ after having a freebase cocaine heart attack meltdown. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? a good time to find Christ. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but he got radically saved and I, I had come out of the army and he led me to Christ, you know? So I was a, uh, a brand new Christian, uh, when I got into the music industry, I got signed to Solar Records, which uh -huh. was the, they were like the second coming of Motown, you know, they had, uh, Shalimar and Lakeside and, uh, even Babyface was a writer back then oh, with yeah. the label. And, uh. 
So I didn't, the only thing I knew about Christian music as a, as a babe in Christ was gospel. Because my dad, I come from a mixed family. My family's black, more black than white. Really? We're the only white guys in the family. Okay. Because it was my stepmother who led my father to Christ. Okay. She planted the seed. And uh-huh. her family's like 500 strong from Mississippi and uh-huh. on and on. And we're just this little small white niche within the family. But... Um, so, you know, my, my whole knowledge of Christian music was gospel, you know, uh-huh. Love Alive, yeah. Andre Crouch, all, yeah. of, all of that. And uh, so you can imagine how surprised I was when, you know, I finally got a, a deal and, and I, I had a manager and that manager got invited by Blanton and Harold, who was Amy Grant's manager, to come see Amy Grant at the Tacoma Dome. Oh, the Tacoma Dome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've played in the Tacoma Dome. Yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, Bob Bennett opened up for her. And next thing I know, here comes this cute girl in a leopard jacket bebopping across the stage with 60,000 people singing her songs. And I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. Amy this Grant. is a whole nother world. Yeah. And I knew right then, although my manager didn't realize it, but I knew right then, oh, this is what I got to do. I don't want to yeah. sign with Columbia Records. I don't want to go secular. I don't want to do that. I've already mm-hmm. been that route. Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember standing there in Solar Records. I had the same attorney as John Travolta and um, uh, Stevie Wonder, you know? Yeah. And he, he was trying to get me a movie deal at the same time he was getting John Travolta a movie deal. He was, he was closing a deal on Saturday Night Fever for Travolta, and he was closing a deal for me with, the, with this movie family called The Schusters, who did Superman 1 and 2. They did uh-huh. Hard Times. And... Uh, <clears throat> I, I wasn't ready for it, and, and I was resistant towards it because I was a soul singer, and they wanted me to sing rock, and when they found out that I wasn't a rock singer, they were going to say, well, then you'll just lip-sync ACDC songs. Oh. So you can imagine as, oh, a, no. as a brand-new Christian <laughs> what I felt. And that's the world for you, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> singing evil walks behind you, you know. I wasn't down with it. And I remember Johanna Bogota looking at me saying, you know, Gibson, after he got off the phone with Travolta, Travolta's pacing in the parking lot, and he and you know uh, Johanna's on the phone with Travolta, going, "I've got it. You know, be patient. I, I'm with a client now, John. You got to understand. You got to be patient. I'll call you back. Okay, boom." And I saw him in the parking lot, pacing back and forth like a tiger. You know yeah. what I mean, for that that role. And uh, and he looked at me. He goes, "John, look. Okay, I'm going to give you a little advice. If you want to make it big in this industry, you got to get a little twisted." You're too clean cut, kid. That's what he told me. <laughs> and I knew, I knew that I, I was never going to be that. Yeah. I was never going to be a little twisted. Yeah. Sorry, but I, you know, Christ had my heart, yeah. you know? And isn't so. it funny that he's there pacing and pacing and pacing to get into something. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that he thinks is the ultimate and you already have something that yeah. is the ultimate and you know what to do with it. And it's yeah. not part of that. No. No. Unless he leads you there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can be a light in the world, you know. I've I've come to the conclusion as a Christian that, yeah, I can hang out anywhere. I can hang out with anybody. I mean, I I did, I played a a private party for Prince in 2005 with every celebrity in Hollywood was there. It was a Golden Globes private after party. They snuck the party at Prince's house and we were the band. So it was very cool. You know, we hung out and... Yeah, so now Stevie Wonder... Yeah. What a phenomenal talent. Yeah. From the time that he was, uh, you know, playing the harp and he was like signed to, to Motown when he was right. 
10 or 12? Or? Yeah, well, when, when, when was Stevie signed to Motown? What, what year I'm was that? I'm not really that? sure. Was it early 60s that, that he did fingertips? Fingertips, yeah. Was it 64? Yeah. Okay, yeah. see, that's really early, see? Yeah. Because I didn't get hip to... I didn't get hip to Stevie Wonder until 70 when I was living with my mom. My parents had divorced and I was living in Napa with my mom. And I remember the first time I heard Stevie was off the album, Where I'm Coming From. Oh, Where I'm Coming From, okay. And the first time I heard it, and I remember I was in in the backseat of my mom's Rambler. No seat belts, you know, back in the day, (laughs) jumping around. And I remember her stopping at a light and I heard and she was like you know John come listen to this man come listen to this man I leaned over the seat and you know I see the light of your smile you know and his voice was so amazing that there was just nothing else that could compare to it at that time I'd never heard anything like it so uh, and as a matter of fact recently I had a friend uh, who gave me a CD of that album. He goes, John, have you ever really heard the album? And I said, I don't think so. Maybe when I was, my mom had it yeah. and I heard vicariously, but they gave me the album and it had, I never dreamed you'd leave in summer on it. And then um, sunshine in their eyes. And I sobbed like a baby. Listening to those chord changes, He he's moving he used to move like I move now. Uh-huh. His uh-huh. chord changes, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And now, and, and realizing that, that that was, he was the inspiration. He was the one who inspired me to want to become a singer-songwriter. Stevie was, you wow. know? And so to, to later get a contract and be signed to a black label, Solar Records, you know? I was the only white guy on the yeah, label. Well. And, and uh, actually I wasn't. Uh, there was another <laughs> white guy signed to the label, and that was Bill Wolfer. And I guess they decided to stick us together. They didn't know what else to do with us. You know, just put them together, see what happens. You know, he was the Jackson's keyboard player for like seven years, uh-huh. Bill. Incredible keyboard player. And stuck us together to work together. But he was friends with Stevie, my idol, because he had worked for Stevie. He programmed, he, he programmed the strings for Village Ghetto Land. He programmed that giant mini Moog in the studio, you know. So he... Um, so he introduced me to Stevie. He asked Stevie to come down. He said, Stevie, we got this, this young guy that sounds like you, man. Come on down. And I didn't know who was coming in the studio because, you know, the night before it was Rick James. And Rick uh-huh. James was stoned and he was mean and he was telling me the world don't need another Stevie Wonder. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> <know>? that's helpful. <laughs> you know, so when I saw, you know, I was at Alan Zent Studios in LA, they were all telefunken and they had a whole wall full of platinum and gold. I mean, off the wall, Thriller, all those records were made there. And so you could see people's reflections as they were coming in the main door. Oh. And we were in Studio B with the door open. So I saw this per- this person staggering and I thought, oh no, it's Rick James. He's coming back here to just terrorize me, right? And uh, and actually later we became really good friends. He uh, Rick, yeah. you know, is really cool. But but I realizing the person that was swaying back and forth was Stevie. He comes around the corner. I couldn't believe it. You know, he just comes in the room. He's oh you know, yes, feeling his way towards the mixing console. Yeah. And I was speechless, man. There I was, nineteen years old, didn't know what to say to him. You know. Now so, I heard um, <clears throat> you singing with him. Uh, I heard that like this morning. Yeah. On on YouTube. 
Oh yeah, yeah. What, what, what were the circumstances there? Well, was I that mean, the first time that well, you that was after, with him on stage? Yeah, that was after um, that the record "Standing on the One" was released. The uh-huh. one he the, when he visited me, we were in the recording process of that album. Uh-huh. That's when I had met him, you know, and um, and he was cool. I was speechless, man. He sat next to me, and I I put my hand on him. I went to say something, but nothing came out. I didn't know what to say, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he, I guess he sensed it because he reached over and he just patted my leg like this, you know. And he said, great drum track, man. I like the drum track. You know, I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he called... He, what happened is, is that I had snuck in that concert basically to see him. He was playing at the Circle Star Theater. I didn't sneak in. We actually only had one ticket, me and my buddy. Uh-huh. And my buddy was like, hey, John, look, man, I'll get in there. Just take the ticket, man. Go see your boy, you know. And we went in and I went in and then he got in, sure enough. And I thought, yeah, I want, I want Stevie to hear my record. So I went to the backstage area. He was just coming off the stage taking a break because he used to do these like four-hour concerts. He'd uh-huh. do two, yeah. take a break, come back for another two hours. Amazing. Amazing. You know? yeah. And so he'd go in the back. And I gave, uh, I gave the manager an album. I said, hey, can you br- give this to Stevie? You know, I, I, I met him and, you know, yeah. and, and he would want to hear this. Yeah, okay, he took it in the back. I thought, oh, yeah, nothing will yeah, come out of that. Gonna... <laughs> well, he came back on stage. And that's... that's. Is that when he... Did he just invite you up and you yeah. didn't know that was going to happen? Yeah, I didn't Ooh. know that was going to happen. And uh, so that was it, man. I just got called up there. And, you know, being the white guy growing up in a black family, you know, he asked me to do, uh, you know, the Paul McCartney duet. Yeah. But I'm a white black dude, so I didn't even know that song. Uh I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know it. You know, I knew all the other stuff. I was saying, no, let's do Boogie, I'm Raggy Woman. Let's do this. They did it. Oh, no, you got to be ready for these surprises in professional business, you know. And then he said, we're going to do Ebony and Ivory. And I felt like saying, uh, who told you I was white, man? I I wanted to play a trick on Uh. him. Look, look, I'm not a white dude, man. You know, (laughs) technically I was, but I mean, you know, but I, I grew up. Uh, probably from junior high school on, I was more of a black kid than a white kid. That's mm-hmm. just the way I grew up in East San Jose there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, soul music and, you know, and then our family became mixed through my stepmother and, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm I'm really a white black dude. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why, you know... Uh, that's I mean, it's, you know, that's a very unusual uh, yeah. situation, but... Dude, well, you, it's a system software. I mean, if somebody was, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's what you're. It's what goes into yeah. you that makes you who you so are. That's, so your uh, computer brain. Yeah, that's why I tell people. I thing. tell people the color has nothing to do with it. It's what yeah. goes into that that system software. Absolutely. I mean, it don't matter if you're a Mac, a Gateway, a P, you know, whatever you are, yeah. a PC. The system software that goes in makes you who you are. You yes. know what I mean? So yeah. you get that influence. John, this has been an amazing talk. I Thank mean, you. There's so many more things to talk about. Um, we want to do some John Gibson music. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you you gotta you gotta love somebody. Okay. Uh, you gotta love somebody. I think uh, that was definitely inspired by uh, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." It's very similar oh. in feel and rhythm, and and you know, uh, you know, I uh, that album is come in and out of my life over the years. You That's know? amazing. You know what I mean? That is my wife and mine's f- most favorite album of yeah. all time. When we were on the road with Hair some 40-some yeah. years ago, yeah. we played that thing 
over and over and over. And oh, that's over. a masterpiece. It is. Oh, it so is, yeah. It's incredible. So we have that record. in common for sure. Yeah, and so I, you know, the chord changes of you got to love somebody very similar. I, I wanted to do something like what's going mm -hmm. on. The, you know, where you know you're talking about, you know, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. it's soulful. But the subject matter is serious, man. Yeah. I, I just want to, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, so I chose to talk about, uh, you know, just the, just the futility of man without God, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and some of the things, you know, father against son, father and son uh -huh. uh, not getting along and, you know, um, and that kind of stuff. So, um, and and it, it, the song exceeded all my expectations, you know, because... Uh, you know, there I was with my dated equipment. I was always like three years behind equipment-wise as far as the big pops artists, yeah. you know, because they, they could get whatever they wanted. I mean, I would go work at, with Stevie Wonder. I'd go work with him on a project, and he had everything. He had, he had stuff yeah. in boxes and rooms, you know uh -huh. what I mean? And there I was with my DX7 from 19, you know, whatever, <laughs> and I was just trying to make it work. So I got really fortunate on that album uh -huh. that we did that song on. Uh, forever friends because I had a friend named Rob Mullins, this incredible yeah. piano player. Yeah. So Rob at the time was playing with the drum professor in Dugu, Chancellor, incredible drummer. Mm -hmm. And and he in turn was working with Larry Compel, the staple singer's bass player. So these guys came in, Rob, Larry. That's a powerhouse. And yeah, and then Dugu. And basically they, you know, they cut the first song in one take. They basically, Rob, you know, Rob charted the whole, all of the songs out on the floor as the tape played. No stopping the tape, nothing, just, you know, whatever. I have to say he got one song, one of the keys wrong, oh. you know, one key wrong. But he did it on purpose, I think, anyway. I was <laughs> mad at him over it. But anyway, <laughs> he made it a little too high for me to sing. But anyway, <laughs> but by the time, he goes, can you take these to Kinko's? By the time I came back, they'd already cut the first song. It was, it was over. So they do this on that song, You Gotta Love Somebody. If you just listen to the hi-hat work, it's so intricate because, you know, I mean, you know, it was everything that I really wanted to hear, yeah. that, that Marvin Gaye sound. These were the guys who could get it done, you know what I mean? I mean, here was Larry Compel and the Dugu. So, um, but something very interesting happened because during the session, the tape ate, have you ever had a, a uh -huh. tape player eat your tape? Yeah. And the engineer have to flatten out the tape yeah yeah I've had it that happened happen. right in the middle of that beautiful song it ate the tape and it was like know. You know, they I was gotta like, feed no, those machines no, before man, you start no, the no. sessions not that song uh. man not that song and so he says and the engineer was all calm about it yeah it happens and uh you look who just you know you guys uh will call the session today i gotta run the machine about 30 times you know it'll it'll flatten it'll it it'll flatten like out yeah you know what i mean yeah. like no problem yeah. no, you're going not scary for sleep. him yeah, yeah i mean right. you know because those guys would be cutting 24 track masters yeah i gotta make a cut you know you're like <laughs> You know? you know what you're doing there, dude? <laughs> yeah, Cutting a 24-track master, whoosh, you oh, know, right. no problem, you know? So here it is. So You gotta love somebody.
tell me about this song, You Are the One. Uh, you Are the One is such a simple song. It's only like three chords, I believe. You know, it's you are the one that makes my world go round. And you are the one. Three chords. It makes me happy. And that hook just, I always, it's just so up and it's its a positive, you know, woke up this morning, walked across the room, opened up the curtains, spring was in full bloom, picked up your letter, emotions start to show, you have changed my life and now I got to let you know. Yeah. And so I thought... I always, Beautiful. I always That's love awesome. to, I always love to write lyrics that the secular listener wouldn't quite pick up on the fact that I was talking about Christ, uh -huh. but the Christian would go, oh, he's talking about Jesus, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. because I wanted to draw people in, you know. So you're the one always had that, and when I do that song live, man, people love it. You know, it's just got such a catchy hook. Well, the melody's you know? awesome. Yeah, thank awesome. you. And um, you know, and and but that song was one of the only ones that survived the, the. That song was already recorded on Forever Friends. And when you listen to Forever Friends, you got this sequenced pop thing called You Are The One. And it's almost almost too tinny sounding, too poppy, uh -huh, you know. Uh -huh. And the rest of the album is in Dugu and Larry Compel, you know. <laughs> the rest of the album is like yeah. drinking a fine cup of coffee, you know, just... Right, you know, right. It's just, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's just sonically, it, it doesn't kind of, it doesn't add How up. How does but, that happen? I mean, really, how does that happen? Well, I think, well, you know, making Christian records, we, we had limited budgets, you know. Yes. I mean, Forever Friends was the top Christian record of its time. It had, it was the number one CCM album, album of the year, okay, uh, four number one hits. It was huge, you know, uh -huh. as far as Christian radio was, yeah. you know. And even CCM Magazine did a full-on, you know, story four pages long or something like that. And, uh, but, you know, our budget was limited. Our budget was 80 grand. You know, pop stars were spending 800 grand, yeah. you know, on their records. So, I mean, they they were able to, you know, rent houses and set up equipment in a house and yeah. just be creative. I mean, it's, they, they would work on albums for two years. I mean, we had like two months to get an album done. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we were limited. And so some of our albums sound mix-matchy, and that's why, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, so... Because it's just, you have to make some decisions you don't want to make. And yeah. it's usually the pressure of the money guys. And you know what? We have a great opportunity today because the young people are into acoustic stuff, man. And mm -hmm. see, us old timers, man, we got skills. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we got we can things actually to play the We can actually play and we can actually sing and we can actually do things sonically that a lot of the younger musicians aren't capable of. But the younger generation is really, they're into it. And they're into watching, you know, some of these YouTube stars, like I, I forgot what this one artist named Passion. He's a Filipino kid. And, all, and, he, and he, all he did was play acoustic guitar and sing. And he became huge. He, he, he got so big that eventually he, had a, he sold out a concert in the Philippines. 30,000 people came to see this guy wow. sing. This, this kid passion, you uh -huh. know? And all he did was pick up a guitar and sing. But, it was, but he was so authentic. And, and, you know, he sounded like Babyface, for uh -huh. one thing. He had a kind of a Stevie-ish, not quite Stevie, but more like a Babyface kind of thing. So he had this really sweet, perfect little R&B voice. His songs were, were well-written. Mm -hmm. He was a good rhythm player. So uh, a lot of these youngsters, they do that, man. I mean, they're glued to that phone. They got a headset on, and they're looking through videos. And uh -huh. this is our opportunity to, to minister by taking what we got and getting simple with it. Yeah. You know, sit down with a percussionist and one instrument and a vocal and bam, put yeah. it out there. Yeah. Because, you know, you'd be surprised the, the reaction you can get. Who was the guy? Um, 
what's the guy's name? Uh, John Legend. Mm -hmm. John Legend became huge because he put on an album with just his vocal and a piano. That's how he started. And that song, Ordinary People, was such a smash because the guy could really sing and he could really play.
Hi, Adele. Hi, Les. Hi. Hey, I wanted people to be reminded that we record our shows all the time. Yes. And it's really fun because lately we've been able to get together live with artists. With artists. And it's been great. So we want to, again, remind you. That we actually air some of the clips, video clips on Frontline Records' YouTube channel. Yeah, so it's not just audio anymore. There's some actual video clips that kind of are exciting because you get to see the artists and how we are in real life and our natural habitat behind the microphone. That's right. And most of the time, we videotape and we air clips of the artists playing instruments, singing, guitar, yeah. that kind of thing. A lot of fun. Yeah, we throw that in when we can. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's very exciting. We're happy to do this because there's so much great music that um, it needs to be heard. And it's here, right, right here at Frontline Records Rewind. Tim Miner, did he? I've met him, and, and uh, was he a worship leader for a church in Hollywood there? Uh, Destiny or something? No, he, yeah, he was. He was for a while. He's, he's done that off and on. I know his father is a preacher. Yeah. So he came out as this R&B. Uh, was he signed to Frontline too? Tim yeah. Miner was? Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I think he was on a different label when I came out. He was on another label. He eventually got signed to Frontline, but I think he was on a different label. Yeah. And, you know, here he was, this phenomenal, talented, you know, guy could sing, the guy could write, he could produce. He was incredible. Yeah. So he must have he must have pretty much felt like he had a niche that nobody had, and then along comes this guy out of nowhere, this John Gibson guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? He sounded like Stevie Wonder, you know what I mean? It was like he was a little taken back by me. You know what I mean? So yeah. we, we never really, you know, we were always kind of, we never really connected early. Yeah. There was a little bit of a, you know, kind of a friction there in the beginning. It, later on, we, we came together and became friends. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, that was a time, man. But we, we were really similar in the, in the sense that, that we had these uh, super R&B abilities, you know, and we were yeah. white guys yeah. in a genre that didn't have... Uh, so, you know, soul artists who were white, uh -huh. for sure. You know, I mean, you had you had yeah. you had the whinings and you had people like that, but you didn't have white guys that could really do it. Like Tim is authentic when he yes. does his stuff. He's yeah. not just like a white guy trying to s sound like a soul singer. He is a soul singer. You know, he True. is an R and B guy. Yeah. You know, so like you and, and now, speak. Did you you actually worked with Tim Miter? So yeah. here's one of his songs that's going to be featured on the show. It's called. Promises of Love, Tim Miner.
So, John, tell me about, uh, did you ever work with the, uh, the Winans? Uh, actually, I never was privileged to do a studio project with them because, you know, I mean, they were already an established group when I was just figuring out what Christian music was coming uh-huh. out of the mainstream. But I did cross paths with B.B. Winan because I, I did a couple of uh, benefits with him. I did... Uh, the benefit for Hurricane Floyd and and uh, the hurricanes that, that did all that damage uh-huh. uh, back then and that put the town of Princeville, uh, it's an historic African-American town that put it underwater. So I did the physical uh, tele, uh, physical uh, benefit, which was at an auditorium uh-huh. where, you know, Shirley Caesar and a lot of other acts, John P. Key, and, and we all did these songs. And then we did the professional you know, the quote-unquote professional NBC Studios thing, you know, okay. where, where the host was the guy from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know what I mean? And I just had God's favor, man. I mean, the, you know, it it, it just was a, a good time. But I got a chance to meet B.B., and he is just incredible. I mean, he just opened his mouth. His voice was so perfect, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He just had this mm-hmm. deep, baritone, perfect voice, you know, that always worked. It didn't matter, you know, it just... <laughs> if he sang, it was going to be in pitch, and it was going to sound good, you know. So it was neat. So here it is. Love stays.
Okay, that was Love Stays by B.B. Winans, and it was sung by Angie and Debbie Winans, his sisters. Awesome tune. Here's a song by a very close friend of mine, and you know, I mean, David Sefiro, the original Bloodgood guitar player. This song is called I Wait Alone.
Okay, Hi, here's again. Hey, Les. Here's something yeah. new that we're doing with our Frontline Records Rewind shows. What is it? We are putting together playlists on Spotify of the music that we feature on the Rewind episodes. Oh, cool. Yes. That's so great. People, a lot of people are into Spotify. Yeah. And so they can go to their to the Frontline Records Spotify playlists and find our music with our featured artists. So, remember Frontline Records. You can't forget. You've got a better memory than that. It's Spotify. That's right. It's Frontline Records Rewind. Okay, so, wow, this thing went by really quick. This is the end of uh, half of it anyway, John. I just really, I love you, your family. I love everything that's Thank you. going on in this place, man. It's, it's really a pleasure to meet you. And uh, you listeners, make sure you get on to the second half of this thing next month with John Gibson. John Gibson. 